And we're back with the Deal Flow podcast. Ryan right here, as always. My guest is. You said to call you the the SMB legend. Is that how I have this written down? No, please, no. I am very far on the totem pole in the SMB legend space. Maybe one day, but uh, I got to earn my stripes first. Uh, Chandler Reed is my guest. It's good to get you on. I uh, follow a lot of your work on Twitter, uh, so it was good to to connect and then to get you on the podcast. So maybe give a little background of who you are, what you do, and then we'll hop into some of the things that we're going to talk about from the searcher perspective. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So I'm Chandler Reed. You can find me on Twitter at Chandler Reed SMB. Um, I have a pretty backwards story compared to most searchers where, you know, you read the books, you listen to the podcasts, you learn about searching, you go out and do a search and then you buy a business where I kind of fell into this pretty much backwards. Uh, scrolling on Twitter, my background was in uh, multifamily private equity and, and commercial real estate development. Um was surfing on Twitter one day and then found an opportunity to buy basically a, a vendor that serviced multifamily apartments. Um, bought it three months after I found it with both, you know, my current business partner, Sam Rosati, who y'all might know off Twitter, kind of a, he's the SMB legend. We're talking SMB legends, but, um, and then one of my mentors in the multifamily industry, uh, we bought it together. And then through Sam, I kind of discovered this whole ETA, community. Um, I had no idea that it even existed. didn't even know what SMB stood for, what ETA stood for, but I kind of bought the business and then started learning about the space and kind of fell in love with it. And this is where I'm hoping to hang my hat, you know, until the day I retire. So that's me in a nutshell. Yeah. It's been interesting because the previous company I worked at in Bolton and sold, you know, there is some only, we worked in the oil and gas space, but what we did, it was an SMB, uh, but it was really more geared towards uh, working for big, large corporate clients. Um, and so it never really felt like Twitter was a, I enjoyed Twitter, uh, but but it wasn't really a home for what I was doing, you know? And so getting into the, after I sold that company and started this company, it's, I've I've gotten to where I'm more active on Twitter now and trying to figure out the algorithm, but but also appreciate some of this community, which is, uh, I've been a, working for SMBs my whole life, but also never really connected with a lot of people that were doing that. So it's, it's a great community on Twitter if you're if you're not on there or X or whatever call it these days. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, I love it. Yo, it's great. It's great. A lot of great people, and uh, you know, I'm on. We do some real estate stuff, so I'm on, I'm on real estate Twitter some too. But the SMB Twitter, I think, is is probably a little better. But whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So one of the things I want to talk to you about um, now, maybe unpack what you have a boot camp. Let's talk about that for thirty seconds. What you do with searchers um, at a little bit more in depth level. Yeah, exactly. So Sam had been running basically these in-person boot camps here in Tampa, Florida, um, of which my exposure to them started as being a case study. Um, granted, my deal uh, was not very repeatable, so I'm no longer doing the case studies uh, because, you know, I found my deal off Twitter. I wasn't searching anything like that. Um, so it's kind of hard to kind of replicate what I did. But uh, Sam had been basically running these boot camps in person for Two years here in Tampa basically can take anyone from a zero by the time you leave the boot camp, probably brings you up to a seven. Um, and next Monday, you know, we had some people that were quitting their jobs, going to search full time or, you know, working a job searching. But basically the, the whole impetus of the boot camp is to get anyone uh, who wants to go buy their own business one day, show them the right way to go search, uh, tie up and then close on SMB. Any deal size you can think of, any industry you can think of, anywhere in the United States you can think of. So that's awesome in a nutshell. Okay. Um, I just 
release the book. I'm writing my next book on how to do this. I might have to ping you offline for some for some biggest yeah. mistakes because uh, I'd love to get your input on that. Um, so where we come in, right? So what we do is we work with either sell side or buy side, and we go find off market deals and you know a seller that wants to sell, and then we put them in the front of who they want to talk to. Now you rightfully sometimes I think beat the drum against uh, going after off market deals. And sometimes I think maybe you overstate the case. It is Twitter. So you know, yeah. there's no room for nuance. And so I, I totally get it. Exactly. Let's, let's talk about that because I do think you bring up a very good point on some of the, t- when, when you're talking about off market deals and kind of how it's flashy and it's romanticized. And obviously we market ourselves as finding off market deals, but it's, it's, it's like anything else, right? It's there's pros and cons. So let's talk about from your perspective, a first time searcher, and then the second time searcher, maybe in off-market deals and what they should be leery about in that space. A hundred percent. So for the first time searchers, the reason we kind of bang the drum on finding broker deals is time as a self-funded searcher. It's of the absolute most essence. Um, you know, you didn't go raise money to pay your salary for, you know, whatever, two years while you go find, trying to find a deal. Uh, it's pretty much primarily your savings that you built up. Um, and then a lot of people are quitting their jobs, so they need to go find deals fast. Um, why we point people towards the brokered channel is because brokers, brokers have the most actionable deals. Um, not only the most actionable in the sense that, hey, the seller has raised their hand, hired professional help, willing and able to go sell their business, but number two, on the closing side, anyone can find a seller that says, hey, I'm you know willing to sell, but then all of a sudden, you know, Pricing expectations are often way too high versus what's market. And then finally, the kind of due diligence piece of it, um, you know, you start blowing up a seller. Hey, let me get your past three years of tax returns. Let me get your customer concentration list. They're going to be sitting there like, what the hell is all this? And it's going to take you a a super long time to close. And probably good chance that it probably doesn't even close as well. So all in all, for a first time searcher, uh, we highly recommend going through the broker channel. That's going to be your best chance of closing on a great deal at a fair multiple quickly. But for a second time searcher or someone that's been through the loops, maybe they already have a business that they haven't sold yet that you know they're clipping money on um, already, taking distribution from, and have built a team that kind of frees them up to go out and maybe go search proprietary or off market for a roll up or something like that. I think that's perfectly good use case and pretty much the only time I would suggest it. Okay. So here's what I would, here's what I'd say. I do think that a lot of things that you, you say, I definitely agree with. Um, One of the things that we found with searchers is part of the problem that they come into, if they're doing their own searches, they can't generate enough deal flow to even get enough hacks at the plate. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not, they're not going 0 for 4 on a nine inning game. They're going like 0 for 1 and they got pinched hit in the second inning and they're on the bench. Yeah. Part of the problem, if you're going at it on your own, you're not going the broken route, is you're just not getting enough looks. And it looks, as you know, it's it's can me and this person get along? What's their valuation? And you need to you need to do that several times. First time, yeah, you walk in and it's a home run. Okay, that's the that's the Cinderella story. But you really need swings at the plate. And I think that's part of what searchers struggle with is they go, they're not really good at legion because it's, it's a legion opportunity at that point, right? And they're not really good at legion. And they don't have the time, they don't have the tool set or the, or the tech stack. They can't really do that. Um, and so I think that's where it leaves them um, kind of out to pasture. So that's why I'm always like, well, I agree. But if they could master the Legion portion, they could get more hacks to the plate. Um, I think that cuts down some of what you said, but doesn't it doesn't fix the back end. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, hundred percent. So yeah, so I mean, for us, I think basically during our boot camp, our kind of heuristics, if you will, I'm like, you're probably going to need to look at a hundred deals um, to even one identify like what a good deal is for you, and then number two to even get to, you know, of those hundred deals, you might have three signed LOIs, two of which are probably going to fall through. Um, so you really need to look at, I would say, at least a hundred deals pretty thoughtfully to get to that one signed deal. So it is definitely a volume game. Yeah, and, and so that's where I go back. Okay, well, to find a hundred brokers who have deals in your in your space, that that's where it becomes tough. And I don't, I don't know the hundred. Yeah, I get you saying the hundred thing is. I mean, we've got a deal right now in Atlanta that's if it closes. Oh gosh, it's gonna be it's gonna be, it's gonna be one of those like Cinderella deals. So I'm not gonna yeah. talk about the podcast, but it's one of those things like surely this is not gonna go through. Um, mm-hmm. And we get plenty of them that were like, hey, this is a seventeen million dollar company with a three million EBITDA, it falls apart in the last second. So yes, that's. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of bar stories around deals that have fallen apart in the S&B community, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. So second time and, and I can just tell you from working with first time searchers and second time searchers, the second time searcher to your point, um you know, obviously if you're going to retain someone like us or, or a buy side broker or whatever to go do the work, you got to pay for that. That's not free. Um and the stress is a little bit different whereas, you know, a corporate client retains us. They're like, "Oh yeah, let's call us when you find something." <laughs> Oh, it's, it's totally different. And part of the thing I, w- I was working on last night was a decision tree. And I, I'm curious if you guys talk about this in your, in your book. So when you're going through this process, you say you got to look at a hundred deals. How important is it like something like a decision, decision tree before you start the process? Say, this is, this is a hard no. This is a hard yes. This is like, like, cause it seems that searchers at some point, it's hard to get the forest for the trees because you are emotionally tied up into this deal. So do you kind of coach people on, Hey, you need to list out, this is always a no. I don't care how good it is uh, before they start the process. Yeah. So the, kind of the first things that we tackle before you even start your search is identifying your deal criteria, because if you, that is wishy-washy and not airtight, like you're going to spend forever searching for a deal and you have no kind of idea of what is a great deal, what's a good deal, what's a no-go. So the big things that we try to focus on, we call our, our big three, second two. The big three are the size, the industry, and the geography. And then the second two are uh, who's going to operate it and then uh, how are you going to finance it? So if a great deal, for example, would once you have all that criteria listed out, those five, a great deal checks all those boxes. Now, let's say, you know, probably a rare chance that all five of those criteria are going to hit. That's how you know it's going to be a home run deal if you get all those. But a good deal would probably be, hey, this checks, you know, at least three of the five boxes. And then a no-go would be, hey, this checks only one or two or maybe not even any of the boxes. So that's kind of like the lens that we try to get everyone up front on first. And that also bodes really well for you too, uh, just on working with business brokers and then also working, you know, once you start talking to sellers. So you go to a business broker and you're like, hey, yeah, I'm looking for a pool cleaning company and I'm looking for a commercial cleaning company and I'm looking for a you know, health spa, something like that, they're going to be, you know, immediately come to you and say, all right, this guy's a joker. He has no idea what he's looking for. I'm not going to take him serious. He's just another tire kicking self-funded searcher. Um, So we really try to help you identify exactly what the types of deal that you're looking for through that big 30 second two criteria. Mm -hmm. And it just creates a flywheel effect of competency when you go out and start talking to people. Um, So that's kind of the crux of the whole, of your whole search. Yeah, I think that's, you know, to your point, when we're, when we're brought in, we'll get people because we can go out 
you know, a little bit more leeway on, you know, maybe, you know, one of our clients is a, a roofer and they're looking to buy a, a business that's on site when they're on site. Right. So there's a couple yep. of different things that could be. And so that, that's, that, that, that's kind of, okay, that's good criteria. Um, but the amount of people, I'm sure you get this too, they say, Hey, send me anything you got. I'll look at it. You're like, I'm not sending you a single thing ever. <laughs> like that's, yeah, exactly. that's just not happening. It's like, yeah, you're not serious. Like the, the, the people who get the looks in an ideal world, I would say kind of that straddles the fence between that off market and then completely broker deal is you have all these conversations with these brokers. You've clearly identified exactly what you are looking for and given them a, you know, a reason to believe you just conveying your competency and the, in an ideal world, a broker gets a deal across his desk or she gets a deal across her desk. Uh, that fits exactly what you're looking for. And before they even go put it on biz buy, sell, or one of the listing websites, et cetera, you're going to be one of their first calls. Um, say, hey, I knew Chandler was looking for this commercial lighting company that had a million dollars in EBITDA that was located in Tampa, Florida. He's going to run it. And he has uh, SBA financing and some investors to back him to close this thing within two, three months. Am I going to, if you're a broker, are you going to call me with the deal who's competently conveyed if that's exactly what I'm looking for? Or are you going to bring it to Joe Searcher who was like, hey, man, yeah, I'm just looking for any deal you got. Who's going to likely get that first call? So you've got that. And the other thing you got is, is that PE tells us all the time, if you send us deals, we'll buy them. And they've given us criteria and PE from, will buy more deals from me than you will. Right. And so. So if, yeah, so if you're saying I look at anything, well, yeah, but I've got six PE firms who will buy 30 deals in the next five years. If I, if I want to go that route, you're going to buy one deal. I would rather work with you for, for a lot of reasons. It's probably easier, but the PE is actually a repeat customer. So you're competing against other searchers, strategics, and PE, all who have more cash and liquidity than you do. And so saying I look at anything, you've really hamstring yourself. And I get what they're saying, like, hey, I just want to be easy, but it's like, man, that's, I mean, we got a spreadsheet of who wants what <laughs> we're tracking. Exactly. Thing. Oh, this deal comes in. Who, who does that fit? And um, yeah, it, 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 it can be a little bit frustrating because a million EBITDA company, there's plenty of PE groups that will go buy that if it's the right thing. Exactly. They're kind of industry agnostic. They're just looking for business models or, you know, where they can do some multiple arbitrage, grow the company, et cetera. But yeah, if you want to compete against these big PE companies, the strategic other searchers, you have to competently convey why you're the right person to buy this specific type of deal and be, you know, on that broker's shortlist of the first calls that they're going to make when that deal comes across their desk, or maybe they already have one that's on their desk. Okay. So let's talk about assembling your team. You mentioned, um, uh... The broker. Now, in this case, you're talking about sales side brokers, so they don't really work for you, but they do kind of help advocate for both sides at, at a certain point in the mm -hmm. process. Who else is strategic to the team? CPA, M&A attorney, not just a business attorney, an M&A attorney. Who else do you advocate that, that searchers need to have on their team to close these deals? Yeah, perfect. So, yeah, so we have five. So, uh, and I can talk about the ones that we have for SM Bootcamp specifically, but just I'll just be you know high level agnostic right now for anyone. You're definitely going to need an M&A lawyer. Uh, if you're going the SBA route, you're going to need an SBA lender. Now, there's also a lot of the loan brokers that are popping up these days who do great service. But I would always recommend if you can establish a great relationship with an SBA lender to go in direct, I would always recommend that as your first route. And then leveraging the loan brokers as kind of a last resort option. So you have M&A lawyers, SBA lender, quality of earnings. Um, I really and for all these DLT members don't go with someone that does upper or you know upper market deals that happens to do small business transactions 
just because they can or on the side, you're not going to get the dedicated time, attention, and resources that you need. Um, same thing with, you know, if you find a deal that a real estate broker, there's some munis or some jurisdictions like Florida where you can be a real estate broker and legally sell uh, businesses. Not saying to avoid those completely, but it's going to be a pain in the ass to work with them because that's not what they do on the day-to-day -day basis. You, everyone that you want to be involved with on your deal team vendor side, also on the blessing broker side, you want these people to live, eat, and breathe small business transactions. It just it's it's going to be a way easier transaction for you, especially as a first time searcher. So we have the M&A lawyer, we have the SBA lender, we have quality of earnings, we have the M&A tax and we have insurance. So basically your job as a searcher is to go out, search for a deal, tie it up, get it under LOI. And then you tap in your deal team experts. One of the biggest things we teach is you don't need to be an expert in any of those kind of five jurisdictions or five domains. All you need to do is be the quarterback, get the information to your team and keep them all on track to get this deal closed. Don't try to be everything to everyone. You just need to be the quarterback and facilitate the transaction. Yeah. And so you mentioned the LOI. Do you advise to assemble the team at LOI or do you think you should do like a pre-interview, whatever, before LOI to say, hey, listen, I'm getting ready to start this process. When I get an LOI, I need the team assembled. I'm talking to people now. Yeah, so 100%, I would say as to be thoughtful about it, 100% like have an idea of the, maybe have those conversations up beforehand. And then there's some people that you might start engaging pre-LOI, right? Like, especially the lawyer, maybe they're going to help you construct that LOI. And then the SBA lender too, like socialize the deal with them before you get to LOI because you go sign an LOI, you bring them the deal and they say, congrats, like you brought me a deal that doesn't work or it's not financeable by the SBA. So, all right, now you're, uh, obviously, LOIs are not binding, but you know, Steel. you're going to go back to the seller and say, "Hey, sorry, my financing completely fell through." What's your take on the personal uh, guarantee from uh, not personal guarantee, um, the seller note? Um, you think searchers sh should push for it, not push for it? Each to each zone. A hundred percent. Today, you know, obviously, interest rates are where they were, um, or interest rates two, three years ago where, you know, SBA rates were like five, six, 7%. Now they're at the 10, 11%. Um, and you would think that uh, the kind of demand or multiples in which you could buy these SMBs would be inversely related to interest rates. And unfortunately there's so much demand these days that it is not. So now you're not only seeing the same kind of pricing for these SMBs, but your interest has basically doubled. So to get a deal done, Today, you're going to have to get creative. Uh, you're going to have to structure some sort of win-win deal. So basically where the seller financing can come in is, hey, that seller obviously has a number in mind that if you, you're going to lever it up 90% uh, SBA loan, that deal might not necessarily work out with today that interest rates are. So in order to get the seller kind of his or her kind of dollar amount that they're looking for, you might have to structure either a full standby note or some sort of creative seller financing that obviously still applies within the SBA's SOP to get deals done this day. That's a win-win because you got to explain it to them. Hey, I know you want X dollars on my original capital stack. I can only give you X minus Y dollars to get your that purchase price done. That's a win-win for both of us. If you want to get that X dollars that you're looking for, we're going to have to structure it um, with some seller financing in or else this deal doesn't work. Mm. Okay. Um, let's talk about the, the the another Twitter debate. I see. I don't know if I've seen you weighing on this or not. Buying a job versus buying a business. And to me, started running a family-owned business at 22, bought it and sold it. 
Um, and I sold it because I don't know, um, is that during COVID, you know, the oil and gas market was wiped out and I did not want to rebuild the company. Um, I had no, I, I didn't like what it did. I, I bought it for reasons. I bought it for the wrong reason, right? I bought the company for the cash flow, not because I love the business. Yeah. And so I see this talk on Twitter about buying a job versus buying a business. To me, I, I get part of what's being pushed on there, but I wonder if people are doing searchers a disservice by acting like if you buy a business, not a job, then you're just set up for life. Like it doesn't take much to make an SMB, I don't want to say unstable, but where you are keenly aware that you need to spend 60 hours a week to keep this thing going. For sure. Yeah. I would say, if anything, for a lot of first-time churchers, I would say I would recommend buying something with a job, especially if you have no business operational experience. Like, for example, the business I bought was a turnaround, and I always joke, I bought 10 jobs, not just one. <laughs> but I, I was 25 and single at the time. I had nothing but time, attention, and, and kind of dedication to get into this. And I, my previous jobs before that were effectively, you know, financial analysts. I'd never managed anyone. I'd never run a company. I'd never done anything. So I wanted to buy 10 jobs because I needed to figure out what the hell is going on. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't hire and delegate myself out of a job if I didn't know the problems that these new hires would be facing. So I was seeking a kind of challenge like that. And I would recommend to anyone, don't shy away from buying a job, especially if this is kind of your forced, first foray into entrepreneurship, because you could buy a company where you don't have a job, right? You have middle management in place, but then you have no idea what they're doing. And you know you don't have a good bullshit detector yet of like, hey, are these people actually doing what they're stating they're going to do? And if you go out to make a hire, you have no idea the type of person that you need to make that hire. So I would say don't shy away from buying a job at all. But you know, it, at the end of the day, you can't have anyone else tell you the type of business you want to buy, right? Like you have to come to that... Uh, you have to come to the answer yourself and you know, you got to do what's best for you and your family at the end of the day. You can't let anyone tell you anything different. Yeah. I would say, yeah, I would say buying a job or buying a business, just buy a business. And I'm not using that job as, uh, as opposite of a job, buy a company that you are willing to be dedicated to save if it goes bad. Right. Like you're, you're in there and you, you're the problem that I had was when, when, when the, when the, uh, the market tank is like, man, this could be, you know, a, a year, two year, three year rebuild. I'd just rather sell and start something else. I did not want to rebuild. That was not because I didn't like the business that we did. And we just, it was just good at it and we made money at it. But, and so, and then, and that, that was really an eye opening thing for me, which was, okay, hey, I can use this because I was going to use this business to do certain things. But man, I do, I'd have no desire to go and rebuild it. I think some people, Say, oh, I want to own a business. Well, when times get tough, you've got to want to work in the business to fix it. And that's not the same as some of this stuff you see out there. Like, oh, you know, it's, you know, it's like, okay, well, hey, when, when it's tough, you've got to want to do it. And of course, you got a loan and stuff like that. It changes the, the, the dynamics. Um, but yeah, I think that that a lot of people think that they want to own a service, home service business and they don't realize, man, that, that's, there's a lot of employees. <laughs> there's a lot of headache. Yeah. You got to want that thing. It's not just the cash flow that you're seeing on the balance sheet. Exactly. And also to that point too, like depending on the type of business that you buy, like, yeah, what is getting your hands dirty look like in that business? Worst case scenario, break break glass in case of emergency. If you buy a commercial cleaning business and you're contractually obligated to go clean an office building on the weekend and your maintenance techs call out sick, guess who's going to scrub toilets? Uh, That's you. Um, Which the, you know, the business I bought was uh, almost three years ago 
was a commercial lighting business. And my version of getting my hands dirty was flying across the country to get on the side of the apartment buildings and count the number of lights and take pictures of them, which I was okay with that because I got to travel. You know, I was outside walking around. That seemed pretty much okay to me. I wasn't scrubbing toilets or anything like that. So I did have to get my hands dirty. And, but that was an okay version of getting my hands dirty for me. Yeah. And the, the final thing I'll say is, um, and on, on this issue, whether you want to buy a company or have a W2, for me, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a choice of preference, of course. But I remember when we'd be at the, the company that I was, I, I was at previously, you know, for years, uh, we'd talk you know, when things are going slow, who are we going to lay off? How are we going to do it? You know, there's these conversations. Of course, the employees know things are bad because there's no work going on. I, despite everything we said, if you can find a business that checks the boxes that you mentioned, I would rather go down on that ship than not know when they're in the corner office talking if my head's on the chopping block, right? Yeah. Because the levers you can pull, I would rather buy a job, to use that term, than to work at a job. And that's and I'm not saying everyone should own a company or not. I'm simply saying all that we just said, I would still say I would rather be somewhat in control of my destiny than not knowing what's happening, not knowing what's going on. To me, I, I can't. That's that's the worst. And as a, as an owner, you're in that position sometimes with clients, you know they're struggling. But as an employee, you're so far removed, man, that just makes it tough. So find the right job or business that you want to dig deep in on I think that's that's just a better option. But but what do you what do you say on the W two versus ownership debate? Yes, I mean for me, I would rather fall on my own sword than get beheaded by someone else's uh, ten times out of ten every day. But granted, you know, I would say I have a certain amount of risk tolerance that you know not everyone has. I would I would say at the end of the day, there's certainly nothing wrong with working a job. I used to like kind of bang drama. Everyone needs to be an entrepreneur, but you know, it's not the right path for a lot of people. Um, again, same thing that we teach when you're going to buy a business, like forget what it looks like in Excel. You got to really make sure that you are doing the going down the right path or buying the right business. That is great for you and your family's, you know, future goals. That's got to be the first thing. So same thing with even deciding to buy a business or staying with a job. Is that going to be the right move for you and your family? Um, recognize what you're getting into and do not compromise on that. Okay. We are up against the clock, so let's plug the boot camp. When's the next one? Are tickets still available? We're going to link to all this at 5wide.biz in the show notes for the Deal Flow podcast, but tell people where they can go if they're on their phone, listen to the next one, search themselves, and also your Twitter and anywhere else you want, you want to send people to. Yeah, 100%. So the best way to find out about it is just my Twitter, which is at Chandler Reed, SMB. Um, the, first, the next digital bootcamp is kicking off, uh, actually a week from today, which is pretty exciting. Um, and then the next live one we have is in the middle of March, March 13th through the 15th, and then another one in May, and then three more this fall. We'll have another digital one this summer as well. And then also, uh, we have SM Bash coming up, which is kind of the, one of our favorite kind of events all year. And now I'm, I'm blessed to be a co-host of it this year. Uh, where basically it's a collision course of searchers, uh, owner operators, and the best and brightest minds in SMB coming together in Salt Lake City, April 18th through the 20th. Uh, you can get some early bird tickets right now at smbash.com, and uh, I think it's going to be our best one yet. Oh man, I uh, you know I teach at my kids' school. I won't be teaching there next year, but I teach this year, and so I, I, I've had to miss a lot of these conferences. I'm like, oh man, I, I love teaching. But next year, I'll be able to go to more of these things, and I'm excited about that. This podcast, just so the listeners know, 
He mentioned a week from Tuesday, that is January 30th. This is expected to drop January 31st, so that will have already been started when this comes out. So March is probably the next time for them to hop in, just just for a little exactly. Yeah, a little check note out March. On the, on the timeline there. Yeah. yeah, check out March live boot camps here in Tampa, and then the next live one will be in May here in Tampa, and then the next digital one is going to be starting uh, sometime in summer. So. Well, I, I, as I told you before, I'm, I'm I'm trying to convince my wife to move to Tampa, so I might yeah. just slide down to. I don't. I I can always learn more, right? So just come down to a boot camp and uh, give me a good reason to maybe start house shopping or something down there. Yeah, exactly. Just come and hang out. You know, we'd love to have you. Yeah, and I think we got plans to go to the World Cup together in a few years. We talked about on Twitter, yeah. so so we're gonna do that for sure. Chandler, it's uh, awesome. I love your content. Keep putting it out, and uh, thanks for coming on the show today, brother. Yeah, I think the same about you, Ryan. Appreciate you for having me.